Good morning. How are y'all doing? Okay. 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 Shall we start? I have some fancy new toys to play with. Actually, no, um, I got some good feedback, and, and you know, I was thinking about it, you know, I'm a teacher, so like, I really should like, I don't know, do something teachy, not just preachy. Um, and so, um, you can look forward to that. But let me, um, let me kind of dive in. Um, last week I talked about child faith. And like children, I think it is the most vivacious, most vibrant, most unpredictable, and the most joyous of life. Um, a child is always only a tickle away from all-out laughter. And I think that's beautiful. Still, there are many beautiful things that children will never see as children. I love my young kids, but I also long to talk with them about the deep things of life. And that's going to happen someday. Not yet, but someday. Um, so this sermon asks the same question as last time, but it answers it with a different lens. All right, how do I believe now that I'm all grown up spiritually and physically? Recently, I asked my kids what they thought it meant to be grown up. I was kind of inspired to do that because I was preparing for this. Their answers were quite humorous. It was things like, you drive a car, and you have to do hard work. But I thought, you take care of kids was pretty close to the mark. Still, it proved what I suspected. A child cannot know what it means to be a grown-up. They might catch fragments of it. They might even try on this aspect or that. But what it means, really, if they knew, then they would be one. And I, for one, cannot fault my children for not yet knowing. I say all of this because I'm about to be a child talking about being a grown-up. I mean that spiritually speaking, of course, because physically speaking, I am an adult. But physical adulthood will pass away spiritually, as it is written, and I'm borrowing again from last sermon, uh, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So I want to return to that original question, and I can't get it out of my head. And I kind of hope you can't either. How do I believe? I mean, we're talking about something so monumental, so life-altering, so valuable, so eternal, so good, and so loving, that it kind of bothers me, really, to no end that it can be believed so casually sometimes, especially when that believer happens to be me. It's almost as if someone pointed to my wife and asked, hey, do you know her? And I respond, sure, we hang out sometimes. It's kind of, it doesn't match the, the depth that's there. And so um, that's really what I want to explore with you guys a bit. And I want to just um, see if we can find um, just some of those aspects of what are we growing into. All right. So um, I also want to point out that, you know, last, last week I showed you that um, we have biblical evidence for this perspective that we are children in God's eyes. I also want to point out that we have biblical evidence that we will be, or maybe we are, um, something more. Um, 
in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I want to sit on that for just a second and point out that in the Bible, the church, that is us, is described as the bride of Christ. And what I want to point out here is we suddenly have a shift. Last time I discussed us being kids. Here, we have this description of us being a beautiful bride. That's us, the church. And being married and living happily ever after with Christ. Again, if it weren't in the Bible, it would be scandalous. So what does that mean? Um, to be honest, I'm not going to answer that. That's, that's a really big question. And, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not even sure if I'm qualified to answer that. And even if I were, how many days long is this sermon supposed to be? Um, all right. So how would I just give this one answer? What could it look like, this, this grown-up faith? What is something that we get as we grow up into our faith? I'm going to suggest one thing. With, again, that caveat that kids talking about grown-ups, you get some interesting answers. So here's the order, and I'm, I want to kind of just lay it out for you real quick because I'm going to kind of bring in some teacherly stuff, and, um, and I hope that it just actually elicits some engagement from you guys. This one's for you. No. Um, so um, first, number one, we're going we're gonna to have an interactive warm-up. Don't worry, you can stay in your seats. I'm not that cool. There are some cool teachers at school, and they make people run around in the room, and all. it's too scary for me. Can't do that. Um, so we're going to have an interactive warm-up, and I'm going to tell you a brief turtle story. That's got to be entertaining. You just, turtles, what's that? We're going to read Colossians chapter 2, not quite all of it, um, and an excerpt from Luke 18, and that's really where we're going to get into the word because no sermon is good unless it has a lot of the word in it. And we're going to unpack that with this eye for answering this question. What's a grown-up thing that we can see in it? And then we'll wrap up and, and we'll just we'll close looking at Colossians chapter 3. So, um, no, just part of Colossians chapter 3. I'll, I'll tell you the verses in a minute. All right, let's see if this works. Greg, shout out to you. Appreciate I came here, um, I don't know, it was like 8.45, and I'm like, Greg, I'd like to do a PowerPoint. He's like, let's get it on. Okay, let's see. I have the tool. <gasps> it works. Okay. So this is something I'm, I'm borrowing. It's straight from my teacher skills. I'm going to give it to you. It's an interactive thing. And, and one thing about teaching that I've, I really hold on to, I, I think that the people doing it are the ones that learn. If you want to learn in a class, you got to do something. You got to use that brain. And I think if you want to learn in God's eyes, you got to use your heart. Um, right now we're going to use our brain, but I hope you walk out of here really with the intent to use your heart. Um, and I, I, I could never decide if I should title this grown-up faith or growing up faith. So on my paper it says grown-up faith. Right there it says growing up faith. You can pick whichever one makes sense. So we're going to do something called concept attainment. All right? And the way it works, I think I can... All right. I'm going to... I have a concept that I want you guys to figure out. And on the left, I'm going to show you things that have that concept. On the right, I'm going to show you things that don't have that concept. Okay? Super tricky. No, it's not. Um, and so um, we're just going to populate this. I'm going to, I'm going to press the button and, and you're going to see something and, and you're going to have to figure out what is that thing that he wants me to get. 
There might be multiple answers. I don't know. I didn't actually, I should have run this by my wife. She could have gotten the preview. That would probably have been smart, but it's all right. Here we go. I'm going to do a few at first. So this concept in my brain, one thing that has it is Father God. One thing that doesn't have it is childhood. I'm going to go a few more because you'd have two data points. It's pretty hard to make a good educated guess with just two data points. But God has this thing, childhood doesn't. People. Marriage. Again, everything on the left has it, everything on the right doesn't. Now, any guesses? Could be too early. If you throw, if you throw something out, even if you throw out the exact right answer, I won't even qualify you yet. I'll just be like, oh, yeah, that's an answer. Any thoughts? Okay, let's keep going. The Bible. Technology. You guys are all thinking real hard. That's what I wanted. That's really what I wanted. The good news. The good news? Okay. Good news. Um, marriage is not good news, apparently. No. Um, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Um, there you go, okay. Um, love. Knowledge. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies. What do you think, Debbie? You got something there. The only problem is that people one. What's that one doing there? Oh, Jason Link. Eternity. Let's see. I think we have one more. Jesus Christ's reign. America. Sorry, America. Um, Jason Link's. He got this one. Eternity. On the left, these are eternal things. And I think it is good to be reminded that people are eternal beings. That we walk around interacting with a lot of not eternal things, but the people around you are eternal. And, um, oh, that knowledge one really gets me right at the core there. But um, read uh, 1 Corinthians, that whole passage about love. What does it say about knowledge? It will pass away. Um, not sure what exactly that means. And of course, you know, marriage, there it is, but that's what Jesus said. Now, um, this is actually our warm up one. You guys got it. It was great. That worked. Uh, we have another one. Um, and, and so we're going to do this one. But I, I did this one intentionally on purpose. Um, intentionally on purpose is the same thing. I did this one on purpose because I think one attribute that really you should consider as you consider your faith is eternity. And um, man, I love considering that concept and realizing I can't quite capture it with my brain. We'll circle back to that in a minute. All right, round two. You're all warmed up. You know how to do this. Here we go. New on the left, everything's gonna show the concept. On the right, things that don't show that concept. And hopefully I did this you know, all perfectly and beautiful so it's easy, but again, this new concept, 
might have nothing to do with the old concept. So forget the last one. That was just a warm-up. This is a new game. It's not a game, but you know. All right, here we go. The Stars and Stripes, i.e. the American flag, has this concept. Hey, America's back. Um, not this concept. Flowers have this concept. Mother's Day. This is maybe the most wobbly one, but we'll, we'll just go for it. I think it, it, you'll see, it'll make sense. A white wedding dress. Purity. I'm gonna pause there for a second. I like all the squinting. Glasses are out, this is good. <laughs> a wedding ring. Eternity. Any thoughts? Symbols. Hmm. Interesting. Let's keep going. Santa Claus. What a weird list. What do flowers, Santa Claus, the wedding ring, and an American flag have in common? The birth of Christ. The cross. Jesus' sacrifice. See, now I can't remember if I have another one. If I press the button, am I going to get a new slide? Or I'm going to get a new slide. Oh, I have another one. Baptism. Spiritual life. What do you think? Same answer? And I would, I'll take symbolism, actually, really. That was the word. I, I told you I wasn't going to qualify it right up front. But we, we have a lot of symbols in life. And, um, and there's a lot of things behind those symbols. Um, and that actually is really what I'm going to be driving at today, this, this, this interesting thing of, of being able to discern symbols and not symbols. Um, and I think that that is one thing that comes with maturity. And that, that's actually a really important thing that comes with maturity. So now you're engaged, you're laser focused. I have a homework assignment. I mean a class assignment, excuse me, because you're, you're going to do it right now. You really actually only have one minute to do this. So this is totally unfair of me. If it was an actual assignment, I would give you like 20 minutes and you start chatting and wandering around and it happens every day at school. But um, okay, you've been tasked with creating a symbol for eternity. See, now those things are connecting. However, yours must be new. No circles, no infinity loops, or anything similar to that. It may, of course, simply be an image on a piece of paper. What do you make? Can you explain why that's an appropriate symbol for eternity? All right, I want you to think about this. This is, like, this is actually a big part of this. I want you to Take, I, I got 38 minutes on the clock. I'm going to give you one minute. Take a minute and think about that. If you had to make a new symbol to represent eternity, and, and, and I want to point out, you know, one of the ones we had, the, the wedding ring. Why a wedding ring? It really is this, this circular shape that's trying to evoke a sense of something forever. Because you just follow the line of a circle forever, and it just keeps going and going and going. But, but it's just a symbol. If you lose your wedding ring, guess what? 
you're still married. So, what do you think? Symbol for eternity. Cue Jeopardy music in the background. No. All right, Debbie, what do you think? Ah, the stone being rolled away from the tomb. I got a, I got a drawing here. It looks like kind of like lines all go. Oh, wait, is that a diamond? Oh, a heart with, with lines kind of all coming out of that. All right, great. Anyone else want to contribute? We, we, the gates of heaven. heaven. Oh, I like that. That would be a nice one. Ethan? Ah, the sands on the beach and the, the kind of the one speck of a sand being like a moment and then just the, the nigh infinite, which of course we know it's not actually infinite, but it's, it's mind-bogglingly more than we can have in our brains. All right. So, waves of the ocean. Ooh, they kind of have this continual. All right, I, I, have, a, I have one too. You ready for this? It's super deep. It actually a little bit relates to the ocean. Maybe you have something like this. I actually, I brought a little sermon helper, this little turtle. He's not sweet. Um, I told you there was going to be a turtle involved. Um, and um, <laughs> to be honest, turtles live a long time. They live a long time. And, and so maybe that's like a good symbol, right? Because tortoise, yeah. or well, honestly, they both live a long time, but you know, um, so maybe that's why I could have this be the symbol for eternity. Um, but of course, one of the points that I want you to see is that all of these things don't actually properly fully capture the thing itself. All right. And, and I chose a turtle because I wanted to tell you a story about symbols um, from my classroom because I think it just really well captures what I want you to get. Um, so, um, so it's story time. I promise it'll be pretty quick because I do, the word is right behind this. All right. Um, so, you know, I teach at Sturgis. High school students, they are um, always very mature. And, um, <clears throat> um, and a few years back, as I was teaching, um, my students asked a very important question. They said, Mr. Me, can we have a class pet? I said, sure, as long as it's something like this. Um, and, uh, and I didn't think anything of it. And then a few days later, one of my students brought in one of those Webkin's turtles. Um, and they said, look, Mr. Me, we have our class pet. And I'm like, sure, as long as I don't have to feed the thing. Um, and, uh, and it was perfect. Uh, we took a little vote on the name. Its name is Terrence. Terrence the turtle. And um, Terrence the turtle would just hang out in my classroom. And every once in a while, they would uh, throw Terrence the turtle around the room at each other, sometimes. Um, and, and, and life went on. And um, it, Terrence had an interesting life. And um, then about a, a pandemic happened, Terrence just hung out in my classroom all on his own for like a year. Um, 
and he was fine. I don't know what he did there. Probably wrote a few novels. Um, he came back, and we start teaching. And, and if you think about it, I want you to realize the context. This was a really hard thing for a lot of students. Uh, they had to spend almost a full year, basically, just in their house on their computer. And man, that did a number on a lot of kids. It really did. Um, and, um, and so when we got back, uh, what I found is a lot of the kids that I knew online, um, I, I realized that now I knew them much more in person. And there's this one student who I, I won't mention her name, but um, she at first was pretty hesitant about my class. And she kind of pretty has, no, no, don't worry, it's not in this, there's nobody in this room that qualifies, maybe there's somebody in this room that qualifies, but that's not the person I'm thinking of. Um, and, um, and by the end, which, you know, they just start graduating next week, uh, that student just has really done a 180 and uh, just uh, found, I think, particularly my classroom, room 110, to be this, this, this safe space where a lot, a lot, a lot of um, really hard things happened in her life. Uh, room 110 was a safe and good space. And I'm so honored that I could be that for people. I think that's one of the coolest things in my job. Um, and, and it came to, I just kind of noticed one day, like that student would just take Terrence to other classes. So Terrence the Turtle was becoming a true scholar and learning many things in many places. And, um, and I was happy for it. You ready for the plot twist? This is all real. I made none of this up, I promise you. So one day I walk into my classroom and on my whiteboard, there's a ransom note. <laughs> and it says, we have to hurt the turtle, pay us $500 and you could have the turtle back. And I, um, <laughs> it's a whiteboard. So I um, erased the five and just added a dot and a zero one and said, you know, we have Terrence the turtle, pay us one cent and you can have Terrence back. And I was like, oh, I'll pay one cent. Um, and so I peg a penny on my cork board and I wait for Terrence to come back. And you know what? Terrence never came back. Um, and um, that student of mine who was very attached to Terrence made a little flyer, just for fun, really, I promise you. But, um, and, um, and we would just have this thing. It was like, hey, did Terrence ever come back? And nope, Terrence still hasn't come back. And, um, and that is still true. Um, and, and honestly, the funny thing is, I didn't care. It's just a Webkin's turtle. It's, it's, it's a little stuffed animal. But it actually kind of bothered that student. And, and I realized as I was thinking about it, well, why is this bothering that student? And I realized it's because the silly turtle was a symbol of my classroom. And that symbol was ripped away. I heard rumors that, you know, Terrence was in Nebraska and a few other places in the world. I don't know. Like, honestly, like, they apparently know, but they wouldn't tell me the details. And, um, and so just recently, just honestly, this past week, I was talking to that student, and I was like, you know, wait a second. I just need to teach you one last lesson because I know we're done with class, but I can't help myself. And, um, and, and I want you to realize that, that that stuffed animal was just the symbol. And even if you take away a symbol, the thing behind it's still there. You know, this, this classroom and everything you've learned here, your teachers, they're still here, even if the symbol is gone. 
it was very deep and profound and, and all that. But, but really, I want you to see that because what I want you to see today is that there are symbols and then there are the things that the symbol points to. Yes, there's the turtle, there's eternity. All right. And um, it might come as no surprise to you, but we really struggle with this idea of splitting those two things. And a lot of people, honestly, it, it can be really um, frustrating to not be able to differentiate the two. All right, let's read some of the word. Let's open up to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. And you know how uh, um, Richard says like, oh, this is my favorite book of the Bible. And then he goes to the next one. He's like, this is my favorite book of the Bible. Like Colossians is my favorite book of the Bible. You might hear me say another answer at some point in the future, but, but it's pretty awesome. Um, so Colossians chapter two. And we're going to start at verse six. And um, should I just leave that turtle up or should I? I'll leave the turtle up. It's, it's the symbol for today. All right. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, here's the part that I really kind of want to dig into, but the first part was necessary. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And I think that's... Nope, I'm going to actually go one more. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
So, since I primed you for this passage, perhaps you noticed certain things as we read it. Did you see the symbols? Yes. Good. My little classwork assignment apparently worked. That's excellent. Um, and I want to remind you that I'm borrowing a lot from my literary background, not my theological expertise. A theologian would no doubt have many things to say that I will not say today on this passage. But, um, but let me show you some of the things that I see. I see circumcision. I see baptism. I see the cross. Symbols. I see more symbols. Questions of food and drink, holidays, the Sabbath, asceticism, which is a fancy word for choosing to go without, for example, fasting, or maybe choosing not to have Netflix. That one was actually very popular in the first century AD. Um, I also see some things that I would say are not symbols. Abounding in thanksgiving. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. The circumcision of Christ. There is more, surely. But the point is actually not for us to classify all of these ones, because there's so many in life. And, and really what, what I want to give you is, is not only this passage, but just that, that space to consider, what am I looking at right now? Am I looking at the symbol or the real thing? All right. Um, and, and certainly, this is a very important point, a very important point. Symbols, um, my point is not that symbols are bad. Okay? That's not my point. The cross is beautiful. It's so beautiful. It is a symbol, but it is beautiful. Um, and, um, and what does it symbolize, right? It symbolizes what Jesus did there, which is not a symbol. That act is real. But I don't need to wear one on a necklace to get into heaven. And so my point here that I want to explore with you just for a few more minutes is um, that we should not confuse one for the other. And when we grow up, we will be really good at this. Maybe a few of us already are. I feel like we have some pretty grown-up people around. Um, and I, I want to just read this verse for you one more time. It's so good. This is Colossians 2.17. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And, and I want you to have in your mind just for a second a picture of that, right? A picture maybe of like the sun and here's a rock. And, and you see the shadow kind of being cast off of that rock. And, and so much of our lives lives in that shadow, but the rock is the real thing. And, and so, so much of our lives, we have all of these symbols, but let us not forget the real thing behind them. I love that verse. I love it when it echoes around in my head, reminding me what I'm really holding on to. What all of us are really holding on to, at least hopefully in here. Now I want to show you a parallel passage from the Gospels. And it is a story that I imagine many of you are familiar with, and I think it just pairs really nicely with this. And I think it kind of grounds all of that. We could talk about circumcision, we could talk about baptism, but maybe let's just go for a simpler. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. My secret fear is that as I say it, I'll be like unable to find that book in the Bible as I'm standing here. 
It's kind of intimidating, honestly. Oh, no, see here, I'm Luke. It'd be really embarrassing if I couldn't find Luke, honestly. All right. Uh, chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 18. This is the rich young ruler. And, and I would point out to you, right behind that at verse 15, is that lovely passage about children. So, um, no, why not? We'll just read it because it's the backdrop we had. So Luke chapter 18, verses 15, and then we'll run right into the rich ruler. Now they were bringing him, excuse me, bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Right there, and then right to the next line, what's the next story? And, and it's kind of fun to think about where scripture juxtaposes in itself just sequentially. Verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. So, I hope you can agree with me that this passage pairs nicely. But why? Have any of you read this passage and thought that the rich young ruler lacked what the thing that he lacked was giving to the poor? Good for you. Because if you have, I think you're wrong. I think that I used to think that at some point. I feel like I've grown up a bit since whatever that point was. Now, giving to the poor is a beautiful act of worship. But it can also be a mere symbol. We're actually tempted to imagine that there's some kind of one-to-one -one correspondence where we can deposit in the big bank in the sky simply by giving to the poor. I mean, it, treasures in heaven, that sounds pretty good. Um, but read verse 22 with me one more time. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now put the emphasis on those last three words. Come, follow me. To be honest, I think the only reason the rest of the verse is there is because our wealth is such an impediment, such a roadblock to following him sometimes. We can, if we so choose, spend our entire religious life not grown up. We can, if we so choose, work very hard so that everyone else does not disqualify us. We can obey the commandments, we can go to church, we can read our Bible, we can give to the poor, we can avoid smoking and drinking, we can fill our house with crosses and Bible verses, we can dress a certain way, we can act a certain way, we can say certain words, and not other certain words. We can do all of these things. In fact, I very much encourage you to do these things, but do it like a grown-up and realize that these things are meant to be simply the shadow that we cast. The shadow that we cast because we are so filled with the substance 
which is Christ. When was the last time you said to yourself, I'm going to do something very religious today. I'm going to be abounding in thanksgiving. Hopefully that was recently. But I want to point out that's exactly what we're given in the word. I'm already on the last page. That's not bad. Last week, I asked you not to walk out the door without realizing your desperate need to grow in Christ. This week, I beg you to consider, in your daily walk, are you following Christ or are you following the symbols of religion? Again, if you are following Christ, you will see many symbols. Do not throw the symbols away. They're beautiful. Circumcision was a gift from God to Abraham. And I'm not joking about that. A permanent reminder of being set apart for God. But it was not a ticket to the kingdom of heaven. The symbols neither qualify nor disqualify. God alone is good. Christ says, one thing you lack. Come, follow me. Now, I think clearing away all the symbols can be kind of terrifying. God, how do I follow you? I literally can't see you. And I just realized all the things I've been doing kind of equate to standing at the train station, huddled next to the track where a sign says, bound for glory, waiting for something to show up and whisk me away. What's left when we take away all the symbols? The answer is more than you can possibly imagine. But let me leave you with some practical non-symbols that I encourage you to populate your life with. If there's a symbol that you must knock down, then so be it. John Bunyan, 17th century author of Pilgrim's Progress, which is an awesome book. Really, read that book and enjoy it. What a, what a gift. Um, he had to give up dancing. Isn't that funny? Um, but he, he really did. Now, did he have to? Of course not. Well, no, I think he actually chose it for himself. I, I think that um, he realized that for him, that was a thing that was just getting in, in the way of the real thing. And for him, the easiest way was just to cut that out of his life and follow Christ. I think that John Bunyan could have danced all his life long. But for whatever reason, he had to get rid of that symbol so that he could pursue the substance. Um, and I just think sometimes we have to do that because we don't want those distractions when we're following Christ. Sometimes we have to sell all our stuff, give it to the poor, not so that we're poor, but so that we can follow Christ. So uh, let's look at some non-symbols together. And this is where we're actually going to go back to Colossians, Colossians chapter three. Like I said, my favorite book for now. Um, come on. There we go. All right, Colossians chapter three. I love this section of the. It's so good. All right, so we're going to read, um, we're going to start it. Uh, we're going to skip all of the, the put-to-death part. That's good, too. 
I think, you know, there's so much to be said in, in obeying Christ and, and realizing what we, we have to put away in order to follow him. But, but uh, we're actually going to start with verse 12, and we're going to look at the things that he says to put on. Hallelujah. Yes. Read this. And, and if you could, well, honestly, you're supposed to live your life by the entire Bible, and that's the way it should be. But if you need one quick go-to, I highly recommend All right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I'm going to pause there just for a second and point out, that's a really tall order right there. That's a really tall order. but, But I think what you'll find is the more you follow Christ, the more you want that anyways the more you want to have a heart like his, to grow up like your daddy. Now, continuing on, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, oh, here's a really tough one, forgiving each other. That's not a symbol. That's a thing we do. That's real. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To be honest, I think that's a really tricky one too. Not just to have symbolic peace in your life, but to truly let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. And we have such cause to, because that's exactly what Jesus has told us to do, but... Um, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, twice in a row right there, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that passage. There's not a flicker of shadow in the whole thing. It's 100% real Christianity. You could build a house on that foundation, and trust me, it'll be level even if it's in South Africa or wherever else in the world. (laughs) If you can live your life like that, not to become qualified, but because you know you already are qualified, then I admire your maturity, and odds are there is very much that you could teach me. But again, and here I am closing, I have 10 minutes on the clock. I don't know what, I guess we're just going to have to leave early, and that's... (laughs) Emilio gave me a thumbs up back there. (laughs) Um, it's almost 10.30. But again, and, and here I'm closing, my goal here is for you to have the grown-up quality of discerning the difference between the symbol and the actual thing. Because then you can enjoy both. I love looking at the cross. I love the symbol of baptism. And, and I think I can love baptism all the more knowing that it's not this necessary golden ticket. It is this thing that God wants to show us 
about how we die to one kind of life and we live in another, really, not just symbolically. Um, but doing this is, in my opinion, much harder because being a grown-up is hard. Um, and I want you to just see one last thing, which is the payoff, all right? Just as I look forward to the day where I can talk to my children about the deep things of life, I yearn for the day where my Heavenly Father will ask me questions about the deep things of life. And, and right now with my kids, I'm like, man, they're just not quite there yet. That's, that's fine. You're growing up. We get to play all these kid games, run around the house, all of that. But someday, the richness is there. And I think we just can see that for ourselves. What kinds of conversations will we someday have with God? So I encourage you to keep growing up in all these different ways. And, um, and that is really all I have for you today. Thank you very much.